Now, this is a two-part series because in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, uh, Paul is, is going to talk about unity, and he really focuses on this, and so we're going to look at 11 through 15 today, but before we kind of go into this two-part series, um, it's really important to kind of uh, get, bring you into the setting of when Paul is writing this and, and, and who he's writing to. Because there are, uh, sometimes when we read the Bible, we go, man, why are they singling this out? Why are they making an, a point here uh, to address this topic? And it's, it's critical for us to, to understand the passage. We need to know what's been happening. And so uh, when we look at just the Bible as a whole up to this point, God sovereignly chose the Jews to be his special people. In fact, in Amos 3, 2, he said, you only I have known of all the families of the earth. Okay, so, so God not only chose the nation of Israel to be his special people, but they were, to be, they were to receive his special blessings, and they were to be a channel of those blessings to the rest of the known world. From the beginning, it was God's plan that through Abraham and his descendants, uh, that it, it says in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. Now, unfortunately, Israel never fulfilled that calling. Israel preferred to condemn the Gentiles rather than to witness to them. God commanded the church, we, we see in the New Testament, he commanded the, the church in, in Mark 16, 15 to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. In Matthew 28, 19, make disciples of all the nations. In Acts 1, 8, be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So it has always been God's plan to extend his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and mercy to all people. God made Israel distinct for two reasons. First, he wanted the world to see and notice them and to realize that they did not live and act like the rest of the world. Okay, so in other words, Israel was, was there and people should have been, the surrounding nations, Gentiles, should have been able to look at Israel and see that they are distinctly different from us and blessed in a different way than us. Okay, so, so they, they should have seen that. That should have been identifiable. And, and the second uh, reason was he wanted them to be so distinct that they would never merge with the other people groups. In other words, so that they would, they would not intermarry in all of these things, so they would not adopt the customs of the, the pagan idolatry that they were surrounded by, okay? So, so what God was also doing was instituting uh, through, like, and, and when you read the Old Testament and in those first, like, four or five books, you see a lot of things that you go, what? Like dietary restrictions, uh, just clothing stuff, marriage, ceremonial things, and, and all these other laws. And, and what those laws actually did, and all of those things did, was create a very clear divide. And what God was doing, essentially, was protecting the nation of Israel from what they didn't even know they needed protected from. Many of you as parents do this with your kids, and they're mad at you for it. They don't know uh, the dangers of certain things, and so you create rules or laws in your house that they need to operate and be obedient to because you are trying to protect them from things that they don't even know at this point they need protected from. 
God was doing that. Not only was he highlighting how they are his people, how they are chosen, how, how, how people should look. They should be a light to the Gentiles. But also he was saying, you need to obey these things because if you don't, you will start to become like the very people that should be looking at you and going, you have something I don't. So these, in, these distinctions, like blessings, were intended to be a tool for witnessing to these other nations. But Israel continually corrupted these things, turning, turning them as a source of pride, isolation, and self-glory. And we really see the heart that they had uh, in the Old Testament through Jonah, the prophet Jonah. Remember, God called Jonah, and, and if you're brand new to church, you probably have heard of the story of Jonah. And Jonah is called to go and preach to this Gentile uh, city, Nineveh, and he, in response to this calling by God, he does what? He flees in the opposite direction. God, you want to use me to reach those people? No. And he flees, and through the power of a giant fish, um, God says, no, you're, you're going to do this. <laughs> and after he reluctantly obeyed the Lord and he sees this whole city repent. Just imagine that. Jonah sees this whole city repent. And his response to seeing this in Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 is, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Okay, wake up, church. Like, like this whole city comes to know who God is through Jonah, and Jonah's response to this incredible working is, why I knew you were going to do that, God. That's why I ran away. Because you're just so gracious and loving, redeeming and gracious, long-suffering. I knew you would do this, God. That is the animosity. That is the view that Jews had towards Gentiles. I want you to just think about that, the depth of that anger, that hatred. Because like Jonah, most Jews did not want to share God with anybody else. They accepted their blessings, but not their mission, to be a light to the Gentiles. You know, I, I find that that's pretty relatable for a lot of us. We're like, we hear about this message and we go, man, I want to receive that. But when it comes to implementing that, the mission of that, we go, ooh, hold up. I just want to receive it and be blessed by that. See, this Jewish contempt for Gentiles, it was actually understandable in the flesh because throughout their history, uh, they suffered oppression and persecution by the Gentiles. But instead of reflecting the love and forgiveness of their God, the Jews most often brought hatred back against their persecutors. And like Jonah, they wanted Gentiles to be judged, not forgiven. We look at just, just practical like, like the, the growth of this animosity, many uh, going into Jesus' time, many believed that, that God loved Israel and hated every other nation. Jewish women oftentimes would refuse to help a non-Jewish woman give birth because they did not 
want to be responsible for bring, helping to bring in a Gentile into this world. When a Jew entered into Palestine, they would often shake the dust off their sandals and their clothing in order to not contaminate the Holy Land with the Gentile dust. Because Samaritans were partly Gentile, Jews would often, during their travels, walk around Samaria. If a young Jewish woman or man married a Gentile, their families would have a funeral service, symbolizing the death of their child as far as religion, race, and family were concerned. Fearing contamination, many Jews would not enter a Gentile home or allow a Gentile into their home. And we see that for many hundreds of years, the animosity between Jews and Gentiles had grown, and we see it in the early church, in the book of Acts, as the gospel is exploding on the scene, and we see, once again, Jews and Gentiles in opposition, Jews saying they cannot be saved, what? Unless they adopt the Mosaic law and they're circumcised, they cannot be saved, and they had to have a special council in order to define salvation because it had gotten so bad. And so we see, as Paul is writing this, there is currently this struggle. There is currently this mindset that has been ingrained into this culture over the course of hundreds of years that, that has been passed down. I mean, we're talking incredible division and racism with these two groups. Um, and, and so Paul literally has to address this, and he focuses here in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, on this problem of unity. And in verses 11 and 12, we pick up and it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul kicks this off by telling his predominantly Gentile audience to remember. And this is huge for us. In fact, a couple weeks ago I said, listen, let's go back and let's remember. And so Paul kicks off this section by saying, you guys need to remember, and in particular, you need to remember what everything was like before Jesus. Remember, people, that, that you were Gentiles by birth. So by birth, you were considered outcasts as far as the Jews were concerned. You were, you were despised. He's literally saying this in this letter. Remember, you were despised. See, the Jews called them the uncircumcised. See, Gentiles didn't have the sign that marked uh, the Israelites as God's covenant people. And so the name uncircumcised, it was literally an ethnic slur that they would use just as we see terms like that used today to go after and target different nationalities. We see that being used and we actually get a taste for what that meant uh, from David when he's talking about Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 26, when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. So that was, that was derogatory. That was, that was something they said literally to, to point out that they were less than. The Jews called themselves the circumcised. Now, I know, you're just like, this is just getting weird in here. Like, because obviously we're not going to say, hey, you know, like, I don't introduce myself. Hi, I'm Steve, the circumcised. Nice to meet you. Like, we don't, we don't do that anymore, right? So we've got to go back. Like, this was a big deal back then. Um, but the Jews called themselves this because they were so proud of that. 
It identified them as God's chosen people, set apart from all other nations. And Paul actually kind of pokes uh, fun at this by saying that their circumcision was actually only made in the flesh by hands. It was merely just a physical thing. That wasn't in your heart. That was just something that was done physically. It's like uh, somebody coming up with this ridiculously nice car and you saying, hey, that's really, that's a neat pile of metal there that you have with some tires, you know. And that's literally what Paul is saying. The point is this, though. Gentiles were despised. They were, he says, separated from Christ. Separated from the messianic hope of Israel that Paul alludes to in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5, when he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And they would hear that. The Jews would hear that and go, look at us. Look at me. Yep, that's a part of who I am. What about you? The Gentiles were foreigners to these things. They were on the outside looking in. They were late to the party. They didn't even know about the party. They were excluded, alienated from God's people, strangers to the covenants, it says. And, and the term covenants implies a series of covenants, which we know in the Old Testament as the, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon had these covenants. The word promise uh, probably relates to God's promise to Abraham that we just talked about in Romans 9. And to be separated from the covenants of promise meant that they were missing the covenants that promised the Messiah. They were unaware. They didn't know. They missed out on that. And we see that God did plan to bless all the nations through Israel, but the Gentiles did not know this. Like, they didn't know this, one, because they didn't have that information, but two, Israelites didn't treat them that way. And because they did not know God, they did not know hope, it says. Listen, before you come into a relationship with God, you are subject to a lot of cheap hope replacements. And for many of us who can clearly remember what our life was like, it was defined by us continually trying to find hope in different things. And we didn't even know hope until we knew God. And we see these Gentiles, they chose idols instead of God because we know, even through Romans, that God reveals who he is even through nature, and they suppress that truth by actually choosing idols to worship. And, and we see that they are tragically, as Paul is reminding them, you were tragically separated from God and his people. And we also need to remember that truth as well for us. It's so important for us. If, if we're really going to live with constant gratitude towards God for where we're at, we have to remember where we've come from. If we're going to uh, love other people in a way that God calls us to, we have to remember the love that has been given to us because that's the love that God tells us to then give to other people. And so it's critical that we take time and we reflect and we remember that. As he continues in verses 13 through 15, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to just stop that. Like, like listen, this is one of those verses. 
you remember this, you memorize this. I want any of you in this room that have ever felt like you never had an opportunity to receive God, you never measured up, people looked at you differently, people said you're unqualified, you, you, you can't have this, or you never fit in any churches. I want you to hear this verse again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Last week, uh, Ian taught on Galatians 2, 1 through 10, and he talked about these but statements and the importance of them and noticing them. And we see in verse 13, we see another great but, B-U-T, statement. It says, but now in Christ Jesus. In other words, that was then. Let's remember that. Let's acknowledge that that was a part of your history. But now... In Christ, let's turn the page. Let's turn the page. And maybe for some of you this morning, that's what you need to hear. Turn the page. Like it's time to turn the page in your life to verse 13. See, the Gentiles now, through Christ, but in Christ, the Gentiles had been rescued from that place of distance and alienation and had been elevated to a position of nearness to God. When they trusted the Savior, God placed them in Christ and accepted them. Before Gentiles could enjoy the nearness to God, they had to be cleansed from their sins, right? Because, because that, like God's not okay with that nastiness. And so in order for us to be brought near, something had to happen, and you couldn't do it on your own. And so in order for that to happen, uh, in order for us to be brought near to God, that could only be brought about by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's blood reconciled us to God. That was the cost. That was the cost of, of, of for you and for me to have this opportunity of redemption, of nearness to God. For all these Gentile readers, uh, like Paul is saying, that was the cost. Remember, it, it was the blood of Christ. It was Christ died wearing the punishment of your sins. Christ wore all that and took all of that to the cross for you and for me. I was, I was running on the treadmill the other day, and, um, and I have headphones in, so I can't really hear anything, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, I just hear thud, 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 like next to me, and it was like abnormally loud, and so I literally went, what in the world, and I, I turned to look at this person, and this dude is running next to me, and he's got this massive wet weight vest on, just massive, and he is running, and it is just like, it's like an earthquake every time he takes a step. And I'm literally looking at him I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, why? <laughs> like, you know, why would you punish yourself by, by doing all of that? And, uh, and I went, okay, whatever, to each their own, right? Jesus took all of that, carried all of that to the cross, carried all, Paul's like, remember all of that that was in you, all of that division, all of this stuff that you still bring into your life, and Jesus took all of that upon himself and took it to the cross and nailed it there. That's how you can experience redemption. He took our place that we might be declared righteous. We receive the benefits of forgiveness, righteousness, and new life 
through this. And this is what gives us peace with God and with others is the work of Jesus on the cross. The cross is central. Many do not like the, the blood language in the Bible, but the blood reminds us of what Christ has done for us in his love. And listen, as I was prepping this, I forgot the blood bank was going to be here. So every now and again, God just, you know, does that, right? Um, I pulled up and I went, boom, well played, God, you know? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm about to talk about that. And uh, we look at it throughout the Bible, and his blood needs to remind us not only of the gravity of our sin and that separation, but the gravity of what he's done for you and for me. After saying Christ's death has brought us near, Paul goes on to add more results of Christ's sacrifice. says, he is our peace, right? He is our peace. Jesus is the peacemaker. This was described in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, 6, he's, he's alluded to as the what? Prince of Peace. In Micah 5, 5, once again, another Old Testament uh, prophet. And he shall be their peace. In the Gospels, in John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then in the epistles, in Colossians 1.20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his, Christ, of his cross. In him, by him, establishing peace through what he did on the cross. That peace is what? That he has made believing Jews and Gentiles one, it says. See, when a Jew or a Gentile now believes on the Lord Jesus as their new identity, they are called what? In Christ now. Or as we say, Christians, Christ in. Once divided, both are now in Christ. Their union with Christ unites them with one another. So out of that union that we now experience with Christ, because he is peacemaker, because he is peace, we now have the opportunity to have peace with each other. So, so we see that, that the vertical relationship with God doesn't just stay vertical, right? It also has horizontal ramifications, in other words, if I focus on him and that love and the reality of what he did on the cross for me, it will in turn drive me to love and to do this in, for other people, right? We, we say this uh, with, with people all the time. Focus on your relationship with God, and out of that, all these other things will happen. That's what we tell people in Christian circles when we want them not to date. Focus on your relationship with God first. And they're like, okay, and God will then, when you're ready, bring in the other person, okay? Right? That's a big one for us. Yeah. If your friends tell you that and you go to church, that's what they're telling you. You're not ready, okay? Um, and so 
But we say, what's the whole purpose of that? Is focus on that, and if you focus on that, God will then do this and bring this into your life. When you focus and remember and reflect and embrace what Christ has done on the cross for you, it in turn, because part of his purpose was to bring peace, not only to reconcile you and God, but also this crazy historical animosity between the Gentiles and the Jews. And he says, this peace is not just vertical, it's horizontal. See, see, through the cross, we are reconciled to God and to other people. All these divisive distinctions that we've created, that we generate, and, and all these things that, that we build up, uh, like, like literally Christ took all of that and he nailed it to the cross. He says, remember that. He says, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He literally ripped down the wall of hostility between the two. While Paul was writing this letter, there was a literal wall standing in the temple that excluded the Gentiles. Okay, so as he's writing this, they're hearing this, right? And it's a big deal to them. See, uh, Gentiles, they had to stay in this particular court called the Court of Gentiles. And, but, and they had to stay there. Josephus, a historian in those days, tell, uh, tells us that attached to that wall were messages in Greek and Latin warning the Gentiles that, that if they proceed any farther, they will die. And you think we're exclusive. <laughs> Imagine walking up to a church. If you don't align with this and that and look like this, you will die if you come in here. And, and, and literally, we see... God say, look at this. Look at what's ingrained in you. See, like, uh, God placed the court of the Gentiles in the temple for the purpose of winning Gentiles to himself. It was meant to be a place for Jewish evangelism to Gentiles, bringing them near. It was that court that the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, it says, as Jesus uh, speaks to them, calls them what? You have used this as a den of robbers. It was in that very court that was designed to reach Gentiles and to evangelize out that Jesus says, you have turned this into a den of robbers. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he abolished every barrier between man and God and between man and woman and fellow man and woman. The greatest barrier between Jew and Gentile, it says, was the, the ceremonial law, the law of commandments contained in all of these ordinances. Now, he's not speaking to the moral law here. He's, he's speaking to these feasts, these sacrifices, these offerings, these laws of cleanliness and purification and all these other distinctive outward command, commandments that were designed for the separation of Israel from these other nations. And, and Jesus says, hey, I came on the scene and through what I did on the cross, I ripped that down. I tore that wall down. You have access to me, and now you have access even more importantly to each other. See, Jesus in John 13, 24, he said, I, a new commandment I bring to you. What? A new commandment. That you will love one another as I have loved you. Now go and love other people. That's what he says. A new commandment I bring. See, now as a result of him tearing down that wall, now they could eat anything together. Right? Because before, they couldn't even have a meal together. Before, they could not worship together, but in Christ, they now could worship together. 
All the ceremonial distinctions and requirements were removed that in himself he might make the two into one new man, it says, establishing peace. A new man. He took all of this and then he made a new man or woman and he established peace in that. See, Jesus' destruction of the old, of all of this old stuff, all this baggage, all these things that they brought into this, it led to something new, it says. One new humanity. In Christ, a new corporate entity exists, right? What is that? It's the church. It's the church. It's Christians. He has made in himself a new man and woman. Christians. See, the New Testament church is distinct from anything that has preceded it or that will ever follow it. It is new that a Gentile should have equal rights and privileges with a Jew. It is new that both Jews and Gentiles should lose their national identities by becoming Christians. See, in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's new that Jews and Gentiles should be fellow members of the body of Christ. This is a brand new thing. It's new that a Jew should have the hope of reigning with Christ instead of being a subject in his kingdom. It is new that a Jew should no longer be under the law. The church is clearly a new creation with a distinct calling and a specific destiny. And, and, and Jesus uh, says that he has made peace by removing that cause of hostility, by imparting a new nature and creating this new union. He has destroyed all of that through Jesus Christ. The cross is God's answer to racial discrimination, to segregation, to anti-Semitism, to to bigotry, and every form of strife between people. The the cross is the answer to that. See, we're we're good at, at building up walls between us and other people, different kinds of people, people that look different than us, think different than us. We have all these like clubs. We have all these social media groups that we're in that are exclusive and and all of these things that we build up. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus took all of that and nailed it on the cross. Because Jesus Christ brings unity to his body, to his church. See, this is a new being that we get to be a part of. And he says, by what he did on the cross, he ripped apart all those things. Now, here, here's the problem. Like, like, we still, we build those things back up, don't we? We get caught up in that, just as they did, as he's writing them. And that's why he's saying, remember, because you and I, we have some of this ugliness in us, some of these, some of these things that have been passed down to us. We look at certain people and immediately have a certain view. We look at people who think differently than us, maybe politically, maybe they, they literally racially, maybe it's from where they're, they're, they're located at, all these things, and we will make blanket statements about people, and if we're not careful, we will literally look at these people just like Jonah did. To where where they theologically, politically align is now more important than their salvation. Man. Like it, and it gets nasty. I don't need to convince you that. 
It's crazy what I see. And listen, it's not just what's coming out of your mouth, you guys. It's, it's what you're putting out there. You got to be careful. Because, because literally what you're communicating is that this isn't true when you start to build up walls that Jesus Christ has literally, through his life, nailed to the cross to tear down. And so you got to be careful. I mean, it's just crazy what I see. And, what we, and we're, the new, we're the reflection of the body of Christ, and yet here we are taking shots at each other over all these other things. It is a very divisive time just in our local country, but come on, people. Like, everyone's watching. I literally saw a, a post from somebody the other day, and they were a Christian. They said they were a Christian, and in their post, they were criticizing how all Christians vote. I literally went, what is going on? Are you kidding? Like, come on. And literally, before we know it, we start walling up the doors to get into here. We start saying, oh, only if you look, only if you act, only if you're, if you're this way, can you measure up to be included in this? And we start to look like everything that Jesus took to the cross to destroy. And he's saying, remember, remember what you came out of. You want, to be, you want to drive forward. You want to have this unity, this heart come from a place deep down where it is coming from God. You've got to look back. You've got to remember what you deserve, what you actually earned, what was credited to you, and then remember what was credited to your account as a result of Jesus Christ. Like, it, it's incredible. Like, racism among believers cannot be justified in any way, and it has to be resisted. Are you kidding Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, which now you know why he's saying that, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here's what this is saying. Listen, diversity in the church is a demonstration of the work of Christ. Because left to ourselves, we don't do that naturally. We're really good at building up walls between us and other people. We're really good at doing that in all the different areas of our lives. And so when we, when we look at people that may look differently than you and act differently than you, we have a choice. And, and when we see diversity in a church, when you walk into a church and you see people that look differently, that is a work of God. And, and people say, well, Steve, I don't see color. I go, you don't? It's not about not seeing color. It's actually about acknowledging that you do see color and celebrating color because that is a reflection of the diversity of God. And that is an image and picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. What do you think heaven's going to look like? It's going to be crazy looking. It is. Do the population statistics if you doubt me. It's going to be incredible. And so when we see that, when we treat each other in that way, it is a picture of heaven and it demonstrates the new identity, the new creation, the church in Christ. Because once again, you and I cannot do this on our own. Christ has to do this. Because in my flesh, I'm going to continue to build up walls. In my flesh, I'm going to label you. In my flesh, I'm going to want to put you in this camp. But I do not want to be so tainted by just the time that I was alive to miss out 
on just maybe what God maybe wants to do in and through my life to where there is, should be nothing that takes me away from seeing someone's spiritual condition and caring enough to present the hope that lies within us. See, the purpose of the Lord's table, communion, you know, uh, when I came to this church, came on staff, uh, we do communion every week here. And I had never been in a church that did communion every week. And so when I first came, it was new, it was interesting for me. But one of the things that I have found uh, as a result of being here uh, is that every week I am confronted with the blood of Christ. Like every week. It's like, oh, here we go again. And because I'm the pastor, I'm going to talk about it. So it's unavoidable. And when we think about the Lord's table, it is a reminder of the sacrifice our Lord has made, not only to bring us to himself, but bring us to each other. By removing our sin, Christ gives us peace with each other and access to God. And I just, man, church, like that's my heart. And as we really take hold of this new identity that he has created and designed us to be, I just pray that it unifies us. Not unifies us to where literally like, like, like everybody thinks, acts, talks, and looks the same way. That's not what it's talking about. It, what actually points to the uni uni unity <laughs> is the diversity within the unity. And I pray for that for our church. I pray that people walk in here and they go, I don't know what this church is about. I pray for that because I just know that that's a working of God that, that we can't create because left to ourselves, we will create a clique. And so let's continue to, to ask that we as a church would model this. And if you have ever walked into a church and felt too far off by how you look, by how you think, or anything like that, I want to encourage you to go back and read Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of God. Christ. Amen? Let's pray.